Microsoft Chris was obviously originally when you were a young content executive pumping out as much content as possible, writing blogs on the regular, shipping off like two or three a week or however many is demanded of you. But as you become more confident in your role and as you start to think beyond your day to day, you start to think like, okay, I'm writing these blogs, but are these blogs actually going to resonate? Are they going to lead to anything for the business? Are they actually what people want to know about? It's what I'm talking about. About even resonating with my audience and that's when you start to get into the whole realm of I need to understand more about who our personas are I need to understand more about what the value is of mm. our product and that's when you start getting into the realm in essence go to market hey welcome to the message market fit podcast I'm your host Chris Silvestri and if you're new here this is a show where I chat with b2b SaaS folks in marketing product growth and founders about how they join the conversation already happening in their customers' minds. We dive deep into their thinking, their systems and their playbooks to see how they empathize with their audience and speak to them in a way that resonates. So they're compelled to take action. Join us and learn how you too can shape your messaging strategy and write copy that truly resonates and differentiates you. I'm super excited about my guest today, Kasia Bergilowski-Foster. Kasia is an accomplished product marketing manager at Capsule, a CRM platform. In this episode, we chat about Kasia's journey from running a music blog to mastering the art of product marketing. We dive into the nuances of aligning content with customer interest, the transition from content creation to strategic marketing roles, and the challenges of synchronizing messaging across different departments. Kaja also shares invaluable advice for those looking to make the mark in SaaS product marketing. Let's dive right in. Thank you so much for being here, Kaja, and welcome to the podcast. How are you? Great, thank you. How are you? I'm good, good. Thank you. So we are talking about your job as a product marketing manager at Capsule, but it's not so long ago that you joined Capsule, right? So I know that you've been a content, content executive, digital marketing lead, and then product marketing manager, right? So can you tell me a bit about your background and how you got into B2B SaaS? Yeah, of course. So I always kind of say that my whole career, I was kind of doing product marketing in disguise. <laughs> when I graduated just over 10 years ago now from university, whilst I was at university, the thing that got me into marketing as a career was I run a music blog whilst I was at uni. And I actually I know, at... I actually <laughs> think I know the name. Is it, it was called In Love, Not Limbo. <laughs> yeah, it was a cheesy name, but I, I mean, actually like that it. Was, <laughs> that was a great exposure to me at the time as, you know, what it was like to basically getting introduced to concepts like PR, SEO, and even influencer marketing before influencer marketing was even ever a thing. It got to the point as where I was about to graduate, I was getting, you know, a few thousand hits to this website a week. I was getting virtual sponsorship opportunities, opportunities to attend festivals and gigs for free. So that was going really well. And then that fortunately sort of coincided with around about the same time that content marketing 
was really coming into the fore. HubSpot was really pushing it as a concept, um, especially in B2B corporate marketing teams were starting to pick, on, pick up on that idea and be like, hey, mm. we need a bit, we need to be doing a bit of this ourselves as well. So with that experience that I gained just from doing that music blog at university, it kind of gave me a natural segue into content marketing. I was kind of like, hey, people will pay me to do exactly what I was doing in my spare time, except the subject matter isn't the music that I like. It's somebody else's tech or mm. somebody else's product, whatever it may be. So that kind of started my journey into marketing, I'll say. The reason I got into SaaS, I think, I think when, when you're young and you're kind of assessing what direction do you want your career to go in? I think a, a lot of people, particularly me and my friends and the people I know around us, we were quite methodical in how we picked out mm. the industries that we wanted to go into. And for me, it was quite simple. I just thought that SaaS was a thing that was really taking off at the time. Mm. I kind of felt like instead of going into a manufacturing company or something along those lines or a B2C company even I kind of felt that that was a direction that made sense for me because I have like a bit of like like a techie geeky side to me but also I have the creative the marketing side to me and I just felt like that's probably the route I can go down to marry those things together so yeah started 10 years ago and I've not looked back since yeah, I find it I find it super fascinating. A lot of all the the people that that do great at this job have both of those like geeky side and and the more creative one, more analytical one, and creative one. So that's super interesting. I, I'm curious when it came to like writing for your blog back then. How do you how do you think that shaped and influenced the way that you try to understand people? and customers now when you do marketing for B2B? It's a great question. I feel like I learned a lot at that time in you. When you have an online presence, the one thing that you're so focused on is getting that audience to come back, keeping them engaged, making them want more. And to do that, I learned at an early point, you kind of have to understand what your audience wants from you. You have to understand, okay, I want these people to come back. So how am I going to offer them what they want, A, and B, make it a good experience for them? That's when you, you start to kind of really look into, like, how do users behave? Like, when they're coming on my blog, you start to even have conversations with, with some people that, that read your blog on, on the basis. Of, you know, I used to get people on Twitter and, and Facebook and things like that sending me comments like, oh, I, I really like your blog because it's not trying to be anything too fancy. It's it's literally just a feed of here's some yeah. great music that you might like and that's <laughs> it. So I, I'd say like it's, it's a small, simple thing, but having that audience-focused approach and that what in B2B is customer-centric approach is kind of what I was exposed to at, at, at that initial stage. It's like at, at the end of the day, I, I wouldn't be having all of these hits if I wasn't mm. catering to what they wanted to read, how they wanted to read about it. And yeah. 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 It's kind of a social listening in a way, like being aware of what everyone's talking about and kind of shaping your message according. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I wish, I wish 
I would have known about this, I probably would have pitched you an article. I used to have a band like, or now uh, since I moved <laughs> to the UK, it's like five, six years ago, but yeah, that would have been great, but I've missed the opportunity. I'm curious when it comes to your career. So from content executive to digital marketing lead to product marketing, how do you see these three different roles and yeah, how, how have you evolved throughout these different roles in general? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the way that I, I've been lucky enough to work in startups and scale-ups my whole career, which gave me the advantage of being able to shape those roles in the way that I wanted. And the one key thing that links them all together was coming back to essentially product marketing. Uh -huh. So that's... Although I didn't know it at the time, those were the elements that I was carrying through every single role, except when I was in the content team in content marketing. And um, my focus was obviously originally when you were a young content executive, pumping out as much content as possible mm. and writing blogs on the regular, shipping off like two or three a week or however many is demanded of you. But as you become more confident in in your role and as you start to think beyond your day-to-day -day, you start to think like okay I'm writing these blogs but are these blogs actually gonna resonate are they gonna lead to anything for the business are they actually what people want to want to know about yeah. it, it's what I'm talking about even resonating with with my audience and that's when you start to get into the whole realm of I need to understand more about who our personas are. I need to understand more about what the value is of mm. our product. And I need to be able to turn that into a narrative that sells our product without selling it. Yeah. And that's when you start getting into the realms of that, in, in essence, go to market. So how can I actually make the content that I'm creating, not only serve my company to help them generate more leads, generate traffic to the website, which hopefully in turn generates more revenue, but also how can I essentially answer the public or answer mm. my customer, get into yeah. what my customer wants to know about, what they want to be talking about, what they want to hear about, what they need advice about. And I feel as soon as you switch to that customer mindset, that's when I felt like I'd started to really not excel because I don't want to big myself up, but that's when I started like, okay, I really start to get this content marketing thing and how it fits mm. into uh, the the business strategy, the wider marketing strategy, how it contributes to the funnel long term. Yeah. Uh, I understand how how this role of content marketing um, fits and what purpose I'm serving essentially. Mm. Um, and then I ended up um, going into digital marketing by accident. Really, <laughs> it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was I was doing a content role at a fintech company. The pandemic had just hit, therefore there were a lot of layoffs at the yeah. company, and we went from a team of about I think about eight ten people to just me. Wow. <laughs> so um, yeah, I I I'm not for long. It was only a couple of months, but there was a period in time where I essentially had to wear many hats. Yeah. thrown <laughs> and, in the water um, with the sharks <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> um but i officially got moved into a digital marketing role 
And the only reason that that really happened was, again, to do with that whole, you know, analytical slash, I Mm. guess, creative side of my brain coming out that I'd been able to, I guess, prove on projects previously. I guess the people that were in charge at that time kind of felt like, we can trust you to do this digital marketing stuff because you, you, you know what it sounds like, you know what you're talking yeah. about to some extent. <laughs> um, so I transitioned into digital marketing um, and did that for a couple of years. And for me, the way I interpreted that role was all around, okay, I've got this budget to add spend to manage. I've got this website that I need to manage the two things what's linking those together it's it's your messaging it's your value mm. proposition it's, it's your go to market basically if we're putting out adverts and website pages with messaging that doesn't resonate in the slightest then i'm not going to be able to improve my my pipeline contribution number that that we had mm-hmm. over our heads essentially in the marketing team at that time and that was one thing that I found super interesting in the transition from content marketing to digital marketing. And I think it's something that really helped me now as a PMM is that transition from top of funnel to that demand gen piece where mm. you're, you essentially have that, those conversations with, with leadership teams in your business of where are the leads? What yeah. are we doing yeah. this week today? this year to drive more demand, get more inbound lead. And that's when you really start to kind of, I guess, throw in on, okay, I know what the product is that we're selling. Yeah. I know roughly like uh, what types of customers we're doing business with, but I really want to nail down now. What is it that's making people buy? Why are people buying the product? that we're mm-hmm. offering because I need to guarantee that that's coming across properly in the digital channel yeah I'm now managing yeah. and I'd say that was that was the the kind of common thread that carried through from content marketing yeah into that but it was like that next level down of okay I really need to understand now what makes buyers tick like what makes them buy and at what point are they ready to buy yeah yeah because you got your unique perspective and role where you see both ends and you try to put everything together right and yeah exactly and i think there's one thing that a lot of companies don't really value that alignment between there's the typically there's the three areas like they see content there's product uh, i mean marketing product and then sales and they're typically just siloed and very misaligned what do you think are the biggest barriers or challenges for companies that try to align these three areas on messaging and and why they find it so hard i think that's a really good question i think from personal experience i would say one thing is process now i've never been a process driven person i i'm i'm in fact the opposite of process driven i'm naturally quite a chaotic person <laughs> but from it <laughs> from experience and, and learning from marketing leader cmos that i've worked for i think a massive impact is had on basically the the processes that are enforced in that marketing team mm. the level of collaboration that's sort of embedded 
in the structures that they bring about. Mm-hmm. I think that's super important. So I'd say that's that's one thing. I'd say the other the other things as well are I think from my perspective, I feel like priorities can differ a lot between roles. So especially when you're an organization who focuses heavily on things like KPIs and 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 things like that. I think when those don't align, when you've got a content team who's just focused on pumping out content pieces, they're, they're not really too bothered about how relevant they are to the audience. They just want to get those numbers up. And mm. versus a, a a digital team that's more focused on reducing the cost of acquisition, et cetera. Then you've kind of got this PMM person in the middle that kind of like pull these these different teams together that are just their KPIs don't match up so it can be hard to kind of prioritize I guess Mm -hmm. um, when when you're just not on the same page about what's important Um, because I think when you're at that that sort of level within the marketing team I think you're often focused on what you need to get done the day to day but Sometimes you need to look at it through the objective of, okay, but what what is what are the, the general business goals? And some leaders are really open to sharing the pressures from the broad, the pressures from the the the, the leadership group with the marketing team and mm. making sure that those objectives are embedded within KPIs. Yeah. Whereas I think other marketing leaders maybe not so much are a bit more withdrawn, keep that themselves a bit more and I think that's at the point where you have that misalignment of objectives and priorities and what's important and I think the third point as well is just I feel like the PMM's main job is to communicate and be that driver of collaboration basically and I feel like from my experience you can't rely on anyone else to do that you have you have to be the person as a PMM to bring everyone together. So if you've got a kind of a vision for, I don't know, product release or you want to, you need to change up the personas or whatever it may be, you have to bring everyone on that journey with you. Otherwise, you're always going to end up in those silos because people, like I said, have got their own priorities and they're kind of just doing what they need to do. So it's the job of the PMM to bring everyone else along with you. Yeah, and to make them understand how messaging impacts their customers, but also user experience, conversion optimization, all that stuff, the big picture, right? Exactly. I find that you're always having to almost play the role of a salesperson. And almost Mm. like every single project, every single initiative you try and introduce, it's likely that it's something that no one has ever done to that extent (laughs) before. Yeah. So, but you always have to be pitching and and, yeah. and kind of batting off objections and things yeah. like that. So, yeah. Where, where do you think your team members are on the awareness spectrum? Are they unaware, problem aware, <laughs> solution aware? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep that on quiet now. I'm joking. <laughs> Fortunately enough, at Capsule, I've moved to a company where I think everyone is kind of super aligned and I'm Mm. lucky enough to have a lot of people on the team who've been in my shoes doing product marketing roles in some capacity, whether it's leading previously on 
on positioning projects or doing project launches, they appreciate that sort of what a PMM has to do and they have that sort of awareness of, of you know, how, how things how things sit and <laughs> and yeah, yeah. if if we do if I do want to bring in a big change and they're quite open to it because yeah, I'm I'm quite fortunate in that yeah. way. <laughs> nice. All right. Speaking of capsule, how long has it been since you're there? Two months, one or two months? Yeah, so I've only been here two months. Yeah, two months this week nice. so far. Yeah, I, I was interested in asking, like, whenever you have one of these changes, especially such an important role, how do you adapt? How do you get up to speed? What's, what are the first couple of things that you try to understand when you get into the role in the company? And it's a good question. So for me, I think, obviously, understanding the way the teams around you are working is super important. So how do does the commercial function interact with the technical function of the business, the development team, the product team. Mm-hmm. How good is the communication already there? How do they work in their own silos? So how the, do the development team approach things? How do the product team approach their own projects? And we're saying with the marketing team. I would say the other major thing as well is obviously trying to build up that idea of who are we? As a yeah. company, what do we do and where do we fit in the market? And I think the easiest way to do that to start is obviously speaking to people internally, you know, people in customer success, they all support a product, they all have their own ideas and opinions and super valid ones because A, they've either worked in the company for a really long time or B, they have that that day-to-day customer relationship and okay. so they speak to customers every single day. But I'd say the third one is you have to, I think, try and get in on as many. You kind of of have to hear that for yourself, that voice of the customer as much as you can, whether it's sitting in on demo calls, interviewing customers yourself, which is usually the hardest thing to organize, but it's definitely worth it. Listening to sales calls, reading support queries that come through, anything that you can piece together that's giving you as much information as you can get about the customer, what are their common, yeah. what common things do they enjoy about the product? What things commonly annoy yeah. them? <laughs> what problems are they looking to solve by implementing the product in the first place? So yeah, that's yeah. always my go-to. Yeah. So uh, interesting. Why would you say uh, customer interviews are difficult to, to organize and plan? That's just uh just the past experience <laughs> just from the past experience sometimes it's it, it's it's because i i think when you frame it wrong which i've definitely been guilty of in the past people can ignore you if you ask to you ask to do an interview with someone a lot of the time people like get nervous they think you wanted to do like a customer yeah. testimonial or something with them yeah. But I found more recently in the last couple of years that if you just, people are really open to, if you ask someone for help, it's likely that they give it. So if yeah. you approach those conversations more along the lines of, hey, like, I'm just trying to understand this, I think you'd be a really good person to help me do that, basically. Mm-hmm. I found that they're a lot more receptive when, whereas when I first started out, I, it was a lot more like, I'm too yeah. busy to do this because I was just approaching it the wrong way, asking for the wrong thing, basically. I'd say on, on, on the other end of it as well, sometimes I think like 
internal politics can contribute as well. I've been at places where, you know, like uh, customer success teams and managers and sales managers, not sales managers, but salespeople, they can, you know, sometimes get a bit, a bit funny if you try and like <laughs> Steal go straight jobs. to the source. They'll be like, no, you need to go, <laughs> yeah. You're like, no, you need to go through me and then yeah. I'll do it, but it's going to take me six weeks to do it. <laughs> so yeah, I'd, I'd say sometimes in some places that can be, that can be a little bit of a sticking point as well. Not everywhere. Like I've not experienced that capsule at all, but definitely in previous places. <laughs> yeah. What I find is that there's like the main barrier sometimes are getting that buy-in, especially like for any type of research, sometimes you have to get the budget approved, but also, especially for B2B, uh, B2C, maybe a bit less just because you can offer incentives to people. But for B2B, when you're working and you have to interview your customers and they are, I don't know, salespeople, CFOs, business people, it's kind of hard, right, to get them on interviews. So what are some things that you that you do to get them on these interviews? What maybe offer incentives or I don't know, offer discounts? What do you do? I think like using the people around you is often really, really effective. Yeah. People may be unwilling to do something for me because they don't own me, but uh-huh. it's, 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 you have a good relationship with someone else in the company or we have a mutual connection you know with someone then mm-hmm. sometimes it's a good idea just to ask the middle person to help you out yeah, get someone else involved I yeah. feel like that that's often like a, a good way of approaching things towards the end of last year I was looking some work around personas and ICP at my last company and it just turned out that the uh, the commercial services director at my company had a lot of friends who were in fact ideal personas and ah. they weren't customers <laughs> of the product. But I'm yeah. kind of like, hey, like, would you mind asking your neighbor or your, your mate <laughs> from school if they'd happen to have like yeah. a 30 minute chat with us? And you know, admittedly, that that is luck a lot of the times, but I feel like if you do have that luck of someone who can introduce you to someone, then I think you should 100% capitalize on that. I think as well, in terms of sort of other other ways i think obviously incentives can be good but i feel like i think the incentive thing kind of depends who it is that your target audience is because <laughs> i've worked in companies in the past where your target audience is finance people cfo so any sort of incentive that you start to talk about if it's like you know, these, these ones that people love doing these days where it's like, have a coffee on me or here's a Amazon voucher that's like shut down. No, yeah. <laughs> straight <Yeah>. away. <laughs> but they're a lot more open to incentives that are maybe contractual in the contractual sense. So, hey, if you are open to meeting with our marketing team, then we'll give you a, a reduced rate for the first mm. quarter of this year or whatever it may be. You can make a little mm. discount then. So that works quite well too. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So speaking uh, capsule again, so th- this is a question that I typically ask clients uh, just to understand, just to gauge their level of understanding of their personas. And like in your own words, who would you say capsule helps and how? This is a good question because this is actually something that 
we're having conversations with at the moment. One of the one of the things that I wanted to do when I came into Capture was revalidate our ICP, our personas, mm. who they are, and what our positioning is basically. Because the reason for that is they were kind of saying, "Hey, we want to revisit our, our our messaging at some point this year, relatively soon." And in my mind, I'm kind of looking at that thinking, before we revisit this, we need to revisit this and this. Great move. <laughs> we need to revisit. <laughs> we need to revisit. Are we actually speaking to the right people? Are we kind of tuning into the problems that we want to solve? So haven't got that far yet. <laughs> On the trajectory to do so. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Why why did you decide to revalidate these personas what what told you or what made you think that you needed to do it i just feel like if you are the sole pmm coming into any new role where they've not really had someone dedicated in that function before then it's always a good idea to sort of fact check yeah what's been <laughs> done in the past because it's very likely been done in a different style to best practice not always mm. but most of the time so yeah i think that was just me coming into a new role and kind of just being like instead of just going along with this and going into a messaging project with no idea if any work that's been done before is right i've made stick my hand up and just be like hey are we sure this is all correct yeah. <laughs> yeah, laying the groundwork. I think for me, I feel like messaging becomes a hell of a lot more simple when you spend that time, particularly on your positioning. I feel like the value prop is kind of, you know, it's it's what it is, but I feel like it's, okay, strategically, how are we going to position ourselves? That's what's going to elevate your value prop. That's therefore what's going to elevate your your messaging and how you, you come across to your audience. So I always feel like if you're going to focus on anything, you need to spend the most time focusing on that. The rest will come. Then it's mm -hmm. just about testing, optimizing, learning what works well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially because I see Capsule as a CRM and serves quite a lot of industries, right? There's professional services, mm -hmm. travel and tourism, hotels, accountants, IT, legal, and, and others. So yeah, how do you think about like hitting all the pain points for all these different industries and personas? What's your plan? Like, how are you gonna research and try to understand all of these people? That's a good question. I, my view is that you can kind of approach your messaging from like almost a building block perspective. You can talk to all of these different audiences, but does that necessarily mean that you should? Is there a clear, compelling narrative for every single one of those? Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of companies will make these plays for, you know, to have an impact on SEO and search volume. And if yeah. we put out 20 Keywords. different pages, it's going to increase our our yeah. domain presence but i feel like it's super important to kind of start from the data that you have about your own customers and kind of reverse not reverse engineer but I, yeah i guess reverse engineer from that really what is our actual customer data data telling us and then we're going to use that to pick out okay what are the segments or the target audiences the key industries whatever it may be that we're going to go after and then build out from there yeah 
So I, I think it all comes back to your data, whether that's the data you have in your CRM or your your Power BI, whatever it may be, your data that you have in your product tools like Pendo or AppKeys or whatever it may be. I feel like that's where it all starts from. That's where you pick out your buckets of customers that you should be building out a specific value props for. I think of this in terms rather than thinking, as you said, all the different industries and, and different roles, the fundamentals are always in the jobs to be done. So what are the jobs that the product helps these people progress with? And then after you have that map, then you can basically map them out on all of these different industries, personas, but you first need the foundation. You mentioned testing. How do you usually go about testing copy messaging? What do you do about that? Testing is an interesting one. So I feel like in terms of messaging, the, the main thing, there are tools that you can use. Obviously, there's tools like Winter that are available. CRMs and marketing automation tools have these cool smart content features that you can play around with now. So you can essentially say, I'm going to serve this headline on my homepage to this segment of my target audience base mm -hmm. and things like that. But often, um, well, not often, but sometimes you don't have that level of technology available to you. And you have to kind of, I'd say, I'd say kind of take a bit of a, a bit of a, a more, I'm trying to think of the right word, um, a bit of a softer approach, like a bit less of a data-driven approach yeah. is what I'm trying to say. And I feel like a great way to do that is always by the speaking to the customer. This might either be through like interviews. You might just be like, hey, like, <laughs> could you do me a favor? This, we're, we're working on this at the moment. Uh, you're kind of like the ideal profile of person that we're trying to talk yeah. to with this page. Let us know what you think and simply just give them to your customer's feedback. Like I said, it may be through interviews. It mm. may be through email. It may be enough even, whatever it may be. But I feel like... That's probably like the most obvious place to start. And like I said, like if you are lucky enough to have that tech stack in place where you can start experimenting around with things like smart content, different landing pages, etc., yeah. that's the way to go as well. Yeah. I'm curious, have you ever tried using sales to test messaging, like using sales pitch? If you ever do like maybe demo driven sales calls? Yeah. But it's not easy, at yeah. least why, why in my experience anyway, it's not easy. And I feel salespeople are often, not all the time, but often reluctant to change. I can uh -huh. say that because I live with the sales person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah, I, whenever um, we've kind of gone to a uh, sales team in the past with new pitch deck, like, you know, we've got this amazing strategic narrative that we're going to want to try out. It's going to change the way that we, that we pitch our product. Yeah. It's going to change the messaging on our website, et cetera. They're just, they are the least receptive out of everybody. And I don't blame them because they're, you know, they, they speak to customers every day. They, have a, a pretty good idea in their mind of 
the flow what it is to say yeah. Yeah, yeah they don't need someone from marketing coming yeah. in to say no well you you've done you've been doing this wrong the whole time <laughs> this is yeah. this is what you should be saying and so i i kind of feel like i've had the most success with sales teams in terms of launching new messaging with them when it's a bit more proven out when we can prove, hey, we're having some success through marketing with this. We're mm. generating leads. We're getting traffic coming through because people are resonating with what we're saying. We've uh-huh. tested this with customers. I feel like it's always a great place to start with customers and people that know your brand really well and sort of go through any messaging changes sort of from that customer marketing route. New business sales, I feel like they are going to be more receptive if they can see the the proof is in the pudding if that makes sense if they can (laughs) see it's working then they're open to taking it on board also that you have some skin in the game exactly yeah exactly yeah they want to be able to say oh xyz in account management or customer success is just i don't know close to fifty thousand grand deal Yeah. yeah because They've, because they've changed the way that they've pitched the product and they've been able to sell more services because mm. they've put this across and it's great. But yeah, I feel that you have to be able to prove it to them <laughs> to be able yeah. to do it successfully. <laughs> Otherwise, cool. they're always going to be a bit suspicious and they end up dropping it for yeah, of course. what they know already. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Nobody wants to disrupt other roles. <laughs> Awesome. Last couple of questions. Do you have any advice for other B2B SaaS people or product marketing or people getting into product marketing specifically? What would you advise them? My biggest piece of advice, I think, is never settle for doing things by consensus. I feel like when you're in a PMN role and you're looking at all of these things that essentially have a view of changing the way that the business is perceived it's all changes almost the commercial strategy in some sense the work that you're doing as a pmm and a lot of people are going to have opinions about that and i think absolutely you have to listen to those people's opinions because they're coming from a place of experience often and they're coming from a good place but i don't think that's the only thing that you can listen to you have to be able to again validate back up research through other means to check you know, is what they're saying to me. Does that make sense? Is that what the customer thinks? Is that what our data is saying? So yeah, I think that's a mistake that I made quite early on in my career is just, you know, having to sit down with the CEO or the sales director or whoever it may be and just letting them tell me like, okay, what's going on here? What do we need to do? Who's our persona? What should our messaging be? Yeah, I kind of feel like you have to take those opinions on board, but must be also coming from other sources, validated elsewhere, use mm-hmm. everything you've got around you rather than just the internal opinions of people. Your strategy for learning, where do you go to learn about your work? A lot of places I'm trying to find it hard to whittle, whittle down. And I would say, I think, so Product Marketing Alliance is kind of, Austin, my go-to, just because that's where I got my PMM certified training mm. done through them. They have loads of great resources for PMMs that you can just access online. Got introduced to 
a great coach through that course as well. And yeah, I find them to be a super useful channel. Where else? I would say there's a few internet that I follow on LinkedIn. A lot of people who kind of are in that PMM space. And one of them is all their names escape me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no worries. And but yeah, product marketing influencers. There, are, there are plenty of them out there on LinkedIn. And on LinkedIn, just have yeah. a little look and you'll find them. <laughs> but yeah, loads of voices on LinkedIn that have got great advice. Do you typically use Slack communities as well? Yeah, so I am in a few Slack communities. I am in the PMN Slack community, which is the Product Marketing Alliance one. I'm yeah. also in the Pendo community, which mm-hmm. is really interesting one because it has a mix of PMNs and product managers. Obviously, a lot of this subject matter is very Pendo related, but it's really interesting to be in most communities where you have those two groups of people who are similar but mm. different coming together. Yeah, yeah, the dynamics. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's been really good. I have just one last question, which is, do you ever plan on going back to writing your music blog? <laughs> <laughs> I have thought about it, yeah. I've definitely thought about it. It'd be, I feel like it'd be a nice hobby. I feel like I need pick a hobby back up again mm-hmm. <laughs> i feel like as i've got older and the hobbies have tailed off a little bit so it might be something nice to pick back up in the future a nice side <laughs> hustle <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i might have to get better at uh, creating video content to mm, succeed yeah. in the in the blog world these days so i don't think the whole blog spot route that i mm-hmm. did <laughs> in 2012 would yeah. quite fly anymore, update. But yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> awesome thank you very much Casia. it's been really good where can people find you people can find me on linkedin my linkedin is kasha foster i'm ha- happy to connect with anyone that wants to chat product marketing in general yeah looking to grow my network out there pmm so it'd be great to connect awesome yeah and we'll link to all the resources in the description And thank you and have a great day. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the pod. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, the best thing you could do to support the show and help me as a small business owner would be to leave a review. Head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and let me know what you think. If you don't want to miss future episodes, subscribe. And if you have any feedback, questions or suggestions for future episodes, just hit me up on LinkedIn at Christopher Silvestri or Twitter at Silvestri Chris. Speak to you next time.